Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, we'll have a show tomorrow. Kelly Rudy scheduled to join us. Friday, we will not have a show. We will have a live hockey game. Game one, Tampa Bay and Washington. Text here from Marfus who says, Good evening, Reed. I think the Predators will beat the Jets tomorrow. They're at home and have the momentum in their favor. I will also take the Capitals over the Lightning. They're due. That is from Marfus. Well, I will say this. The they're due argument is as good as any when it comes to making playoff predictions because all the series are so close and... You can all you, you could you could flip a coin. You could have a monkey draw a name out of a hat. What did, what was that uh, monkey they used to have on TSN? Maggie. Correct. Maggie the monkey would just spin the giant spin the giant wheel with the team logos, right? And that one year she picked all those upsets, and then they kept bringing her back. I mean, that's we're, that's the thing. We're all just wild animals guessing when it comes to sports predictions. Kellen, you're you're a bit of a you're a bit of a wildebeest. Thank you. <laughs> quickly, quickly Google wildebeest. They're they're quite masculine animals, aren't they? Yeah, but they get eaten by lions and tigers and things. Yeah, but I, I think they do their share of devouring. Plants? Are they are are they herbivores? Yeah. You, I, how do you know so much about wildebeests? Planet Earth. Said <laughs> that. Yeah. Does that mean Netflix? you live on planet Earth? Yeah. You've explored planet Earth or you've watched the documentary? I've, I've watched the documentaries, yes. Great camera work, by the way. Well, then there you go. Wildebeests are threatening to plants. Mm-hmm. I had, I had no idea they were uh, omnivores. Oh, we're not omnivores. Omnivores meet, eat both, right? Right. Uh, herbivores uh, eat plants. Yeah. I'm seriously looking up uh, wildebeest on uh, Wikipedia. They, they don't occupy a very large part of the world. No. <laughs> you know all this, eh? <laughs> no, it's just um, just you know. Anyway, you can still be a, you can you can still be a wildebeest. Sure. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, Bresky texting in. Jack actually predicted that Reed would have to call in some backup to pay off the chicken bet. You have to hand it to Jack. He absolutely smoked Reed Wilkins in both the bet and the trash talk. No, hold on. I'm not calling in backup to pay off the bet. I'm not saying I don't have enough money 
to pay off the bet. And let me remind you, Bretsky, who do you think is in possession of the Northern Chicken gift certificates that some guests get? I am. <laughs> it would it would not be ethical of me to use a Northern Chicken gift certificate to pay off the bet, but were I in such dire straits financially, I could do that. So I wouldn't have to call in backup. Uh, JJ says, funny how everyone has gone back and forth after every game in this series. The last game at home ice advantage have meant nothing. Go Jets. That is from JJ. Well, you're right. There's been times where it's looked like, oh, the Jets are in control, Predators are in control. I mean, the road team has won the last couple of games. So what, the road team's won four out of six in the series. And I I, I don't, in the playoffs, I think there's in-game momentum. I think when you have two teams playing well, they're both at a high level, they're both great teams, they both have firepower, they they both have great goaltending. I don't think there's much game-to-game momentum. I think teams are able to park it and move on, right? I mean, the Oilers lost a game 7-0 in the playoffs last year, won the next game in overtime, right? Uh, they lost uh, game 5 in Anaheim when they blew a 3-0 lead and then lost in double overtime, won the next game 7-1, and then lost game 7. So, so uh, yeah, game-to-game momentum doesn't often happen when the teams are close. Jim says, Kellen has a broader horizon than you, I guess, Reed. There's more than sports in life. Well, there, that is true. I mean, we often discuss many of those things on the show. It's amazing what you can do on late-night YouTube and uh, Netflix binges and see. It's all wildebeests. Well, <laughs> you know, I just was at, or I'm interested to see what the uh, feeding habits of the African cat is like, you know. Did you know many wildebeest populations are experiencing rapid declines? Probably from all the cats eating them, yes. I would say so. Uh, anyway, you can text 63630, the phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Kellen, I got a name for you. All right. And I got a name for the listeners as well. Speaking of the Edmonton Oilers and Hockey Talk. Thomas Vanek. Would you? I know you wouldn't. Well, here, here's the <laughs> thing about Thomas Vanek. And, you know, because I was thinking about the roster and Ty Ratty, great story, end of the season, right? Came up. What, he had five goals, nine points, looked pretty good with Nugent Hopkins and McDavid. Offensive player mentally who improved the defensive game. You know, he was checking as hard as he could. I think he'll still have to work on that. I think he knows that. So they re-signed Tyratty for one year, $800,000. Okay, you got him as a deal. I think you can pencil him in to be on that line. But Ty Ratty has to play on one of your top two lines to be in the NHL, right? He's not a third or fourth liner. He's not a checker. He's not a banger. He, I think, is working on his defensive game and being more responsible, but he's, he's not going to turn into some whiz kid defensively. So the Oilers, the Oilers can't go into this season again with a lack of options on the wings, right? And then those options were, were made even worse by the fact that some players had really down years. We don't, we don't need to get into that now. So... Yessi Pugliarvi is still around. They're still hoping for more from him. I hope they see it. I'm not sure which way it's going to go with him because he, he has a lot of quiet nights. 
Kyler Yamamoto at some point will be on the Oilers. I don't know if it's going to be at the start of the season. I, I would hate to, to thrust him into a, a top-line role and say, okay, you got to go and score 25, 30 goals your first full season in the NHL. So they, they need some options, and they need some goal scoring. They need some sniping. Thomas Vanek has been able to do that in his career. 24 goals last season. 17 the year before, 18, 21, just going back a few years, 27 back in 13, 14, 20, 26. I mean, he, he's, he's had 36 and 40 goal seasons. I don't think that's coming again. But Thomas Vanek, even moving into his mid-30s, he's 34, gets you, you know, pretty much 20 goals, right? Last year... Uh, his contract was very affordable, $2 million by the Vancouver Canucks. Now, he, you know, he, he's one of those guys, at the trade deadline, he always seems to be available, right? Because he's, I still don't consider him a great all-around player, but he knows how to put the puck in the net when, when he's engaged and interested. He's, he's got a big, thick body. He can, he can forecheck. He can shoot. So there always seems to be some interest in him with teams going to the playoffs like Columbus this year. And he did, and he did pretty good for Columbus. So he's an unrestricted free agent. If you could get him around $2 million, if he doesn't, you know, if no team's willing to pay him a little more, all right, maybe you go there. Here's, here's my personal concern with Thomas Vanek, and maybe he's going to sign here. Well, he doesn't have to sign here to prove me wrong. That's fine. He, but if specifically to do Edmonton, and this market, and uh, this fan base, and this, the way the media talks about players, and I'll include myself in that. In my mind, Thomas Vanek is exactly the type of player that would infuriate people who watch the Oilers. He can score. When he's on, he's on. But, and and here's the big but, so to speak. <laughs> um, he's the type of guy, when he is not engaged... He, Fans are going to look at him and say, what is this big guy doing, not going into the corners, shying away from body checks? And to me, he's the type of guy that we as observers, and I'll include the fans and the media together, could sour on really quickly. Because he's going to have some nights that the Oilers are going to look like they're shorthanded where, where they're in the ace. Because I, I, I have seen him play badly often enough that I would be leery about adding him. Now, if he's interested and things start going for him and maybe he's with McDavid, and he, I mean, I assume he would be with McDavid or Dreisaitl as a center, maybe you get him locked in for the entire season or most of the season, and he could be a steal at around $2 million. But, but that specifically would be my concern about Thomas Vanek. Trevor says, Reed, Vanek is a good veteran winger who can score. These are texts to 630-630. JJ texting in. He says, 20 goals for less money than the backup goalie. Yes, in all caps from JJ. Well, that's a good perspective when you look at it that way. That, that was a curious contract for Koskinen. I hope he's good. Trevor says, uh, Reed, we should sign Vanek and Grabner and put Puliyarvi and Yamamoto in the minors. I don't know. The, Trevor, I, the thing is, I don't know if the Oilers are necessarily going to be able to afford Grabner. 
I mean, I think he's going to command a pretty decent salary. Vanek is probably, well, not probably, I think he would be more affordable in terms of where the Oilers are going to have to try to slot players in. Uh, Grabner, I mean, he had a heck of a year last year. Plus, he can fly, which would would help any team, but it would especially help the Oilers. Uh, Pugliarvi and Yamamoto in the minors, that would be a nice luxury. I don't know if the Oilers are going to have the luxury of putting both of them in uh, in the minors. All right. You can text 630-630-780-496-0063. It's 717. We're coming right back. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 630 Chad. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. 2-1 Seattle leading the Blue Jays now into the top of the seventh. Basketball tonight, halftime. Celtics 61, 76ers 52. Celtics trying to finish off that series. They lead the best of seven, three games to one. Tomorrow, Canada and Norway at the World Hockey Championship. WHL final resumes tonight. Game four, Swift Current at Everett. Swift Current up two games to one. The Boston Bruins cleaning out their lockers today. The old good old garbage bag day, as it's known. Brad Marchand says, I have to cut that crap out. Didn't say crap, but we'll edit that for radio. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if he lives to lick again. <laughs> or if he will lick again. I have to cut that out, he said. Well, yes, he does. Still say the league should have stepped in much, much sooner. Much, much sooner. And either find him or suspended him or, I mean, you, you can't just sit there and let it go on. And Ryan Callahan, again, made a great point. How is that different from spitting on somebody? Spitting on someone, you'd be giving a misconduct, tossed out of the game, maybe fined or suspended. Uh, it didn't happen. Sam G texting 63630. He says, hi, Reed. All I have to say is that I don't have to hear the Pittsburgh Penguin uh, Mike Lang calling the game anymore. I don't care who wins anymore. I just want to see good games with the Penguins out, but I feel the Predators might win it all. That is uh, from Sam G. Not a fan of uh, Mike Lang and his unique Pittsburgh Penguin goal calls. I wish I'd seen that text earlier because now I'm looking in our folder. Oh, here we got one, Kellen. Just to annoy Sam G. Oh, hang on. Turn that on. Crosby darts in. Goes left side. Gensel looking to drag it. Gets around the man. Goes to Crosby. Hey! Shoots and scores. Sidney Crosby puts Pittsburgh in the lead again. It's 3-2. Pins. Oh, slap me. Silly Sidney. What a passing play and finish by that duo. There it is, especially for Sam G. A little mm-hmm. bit of Mike Lang. He's an acquired taste, I find. An acquired taste. You, well, you don't like him at first, but then once you start listening to more and more of the games, you're like, eh, okay. Well, he's been doing it a long time. So in Pittsburgh, he's a legend. And I guess if you're out of market, maybe it's gotten old now. Some of the phrases. I don't know. He's entertaining. Uh, oh, Sam texted back. He goes, I'd rather hear good morning, good afternoon, and good night by John Walton, the Capitals game caller. That is from Sam G. All right. That was well done. Uh, this texture says, just tuned in while you're talking about Thomas Vanek. I thought you were talking about Leon Dreisaitl. Okay. Yes, let's let's give up on Dreisaitl after uh, three years in the NHL. Good idea. 
Uh, this texture says the Oilers badly needs cheap depth scoring. Sign some stopgap veterans to value one-year contracts. If Pooley-Arvey starts on the third line and Yamamoto starts in Bakersfield, that wouldn't be a bad thing if they push up. That's great. That's a text of 630-630. Well, I mean, th- this is going to be interesting because we'll see if Ty Ratty can, can do it long-term when the games matter. He got to play games down the stretch where obviously the results didn't matter. I mean, sure, you get final standings and draft position and, and lottery odds and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, did it, did it matter if the Oilers went 6-4 and four or 4-6 and six or 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games? Not really. The, the overall season was going to be viewed the same way and probably dissected the same way. So Raddy's challenge is to, you know, come in in good shape continue to work on his defensive game, continue to think the game well, which I don't think will be a problem because he knew where to go with McDavid and Nugent Hopkins on the ice. But, the, and, and, that, and here's the big one, we, he's never done that and stuck around in the NHL in his pro career. So if he can't do that, who slides in? Is, is it Pugliarvi? Is it Yamamoto? Right? Who's going to get the shot there? Or is it the stopgap veteran, as that texture suggested? And that's why uh, I'm talking about, do the Oilers look at Thomas Vanek? I mean, Vanek has been a shooter. He has been a scorer. So he's smart enough to know, well, there's a couple guys on Edmonton who can get me the puck, even though the team is coming off a tough season. He's also looking at what they did the year before. And a couple million dollars maybe to come in and fire away and help the power play. But again, the issue with Vanek is the the checking and the level of interest. And I think that's why he's a guy that's bounced around a lot because GMs know that that happens to him. And I mean, I just remember seeing him play playoff games in Montreal a few years ago. And there were nights he literally would not go into the corners or he'd do the, oh, I'm going to go in backwards and kind of stick my stick out because I don't want to get contact. But but if he's out there and getting in the right spot and shooting like he can shoot, yeah, definitely. He's a potent player. It's just, you know, look, somebody texted in, uh, Reed, you said some nights the Oilers will look like they're shorthanded with Vanek on the ice, and then Mark saying, so Vanek is essentially another Lucic. Yeah, so, I mean, you see how Lucic is getting hammered this season. You know, what if Vanek comes in and plays like that? How, how long till people just want him out of town and don't like the contract, even if it's a cheap one? Anyway, some food for thought. Going to be a lot to play out in the weeks to come. This is going to be fun coming up. We're going to talk to Bill Humber, who this summer will be inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, even though he's never played a game of pro baseball, but he has contributed as a baseball historian. Really interesting guy, and he'll give us some context for James Paxton's no-hitter last night, what it means for Canadian baseball and a little bit on Dick Fowler, the only other Canadian to throw a no-no in the big. So that's when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, top of the eighth, Seattle leading the Blue Jays 2-1. 
Basketball playoffs tonight, early in the third quarter. Celtics up 61-54 on the 76ers. The Celtics trying to finish off the series. And WHL final resumes uh, pretty soon here, about half an hour. Swift current at Everett. The Broncos are up two games to one. Another good goaltending performance by the uh, Broncos' Stuart Skinner last night, who is an Edmontonian and an Edmonton Oilers draft pick. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. You can text 630-630. Uh, Jim says the Oilers don't need guys like Thomas Vanek. They need aggressive players. Cairo says, could Thomas Vanek replace Patrick Maroon's goals? That's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, Ty responding to the texter who uh, took a shot at Dreisaitl earlier. Ty says, isn't Dreisaitl third in the scoring at Worlds? I think he's ahead of McDavid. Uh, JJ says, uh, Lucic, six million times, seven years. We're talking two million times, one year for Vanek. If he's that bad, bury him in the minors. I don't think those two scenarios are remotely close. Well, JJ, uh, from one aspect, I will say you are right, because the money would be way different. From the perspective of uh, signing a player who could turn out to be ineffective, and then that player and the GM who made the deal being criticized... Uh, I don't think those scenarios are that different. Let me ask you this, JJ. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being not forgiving at all and 10 being forgiving on a saintly level, collectively, how forgiving are Oilers fans of Peter Shirelli and bad contracts and bad player personnel decisions? You can't go lower than 1, JJ, when you reply on the text line. But, J.J., promise me this. Just promise me this, J.J., because I know you listen and text fairly regularly, and I appreciate it, and I'm going to have some fun with you here. If the Oilers sign Thomas Vanek, and he plays poorly, and he gets sent to the minors to bury the contract, I want you to be the first person to call in and say, it's okay, they tried. They tried. And now they don't have anybody else, but they, but they tried. Oh, JJ already texted me back. He goes, okay, it's a one. <laughs> uh, Leon says the Oilers had a chance to get a Ginla and they didn't pull the trigger. Now you're talking about Thomas Vanek. He is no good for the Oilers right now. They should just get one experienced, well-respected defensive guy who knows how to lead. Well, Vanek is six years younger than Aginla and is coming off a more uh, effective season than Aginla had his final year in the NHL. So uh, I'll quibble a little bit about that being a direct comparison. And don't forget, nobody signed Jerome Aginla. He didn't play in the NHL last year. Somebody will sign Thomas Vanek. I don't know if it's going to be the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know if he'll get $2 million or if he'll uh, get a little bit more. But... uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's a. Dr- I mean, I know. I know what you're saying. Guys who can score, uh, bigger guys. Certainly in his prime, Aginla was a better player and far more consistent than than Thomas Fanek. But uh, good text to six thirty six thirty. JJ, I appreciate you writing back to me. Good talk. Paxton ready. Here's the windup and the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a one happen to third. Seager's got it. Toss across. Ball game is over. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. The big lefty is getting mobbed out of the mound. The lefty from Ladner, British Columbia, has thrown the sixth no-hitter in the 
history of the Seattle Mariners franchise, the young man from British Columbia throws a no-hitter against the Blue Jays north of the border here at Rogers Center in Toronto. That was the call about 24 hours ago on 710 ESPN Seattle. Historic no-hitter by James Paxton, Canadian for the Seattle Mariners, to discuss... Well, this is appropriate. Canadian baseball historian, and in about a month, he's going to be inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. It is Bill Humber. Bill, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, we had a no-hitter in town last night by a Canadian. Unfortunately, he doesn't pitch for the Blue Jays. No, exactly. James Paxton <laughs> pitches for the uh, Seattle Mariners. Like, okay, i got to ask you this, Bill. Is there a more Canadian nickname, the, the Big Maple? I mean, unless his name no, was actually... You know, unless we had another athlete named Tim Horton, I'm not sure there's a more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got the tattoo to prove it, too, so uh, good for him. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, I guess this wasn't really out of nowhere with Paxton, was it? I mean, what, he had 16 strikeouts in his last start? This guy's the real deal. Oh, he is, and he, and he, you know, I think, I think they said his last pitch, his 99th in the game, uh, was clocked at 99 miles an hour too. So, good thing he didn't throw 120 pitches. You know, who knows? He might have blown his arm out, but uh, good for him. Pretty impressive performance for sure. Uh, neat moment, obviously, with all the Blue Jays fans uh, hoping he, he he got it done. Once a guy gets that close, even if he's the on the visiting team, uh, you know, the fans will start pulling for him. But what, what's been interesting for me out of this, Bill? is that, you know, I imagine, you know, Paxton was probably the most Googled name in Canada last night, but a close second might have been Dick Fowler. Uh, Absolutely. Who was the yeah. – tell us a little bit about Fowler and his no-hitter back in 1945 because that's a pretty incredible story in itself. Well, it was. He, he was a Canadian kid as well from Toronto. He uh, Actually, he threw the no-hitter on the 9th of September, and and that's distinguishing for me because four years after that date, I was born. So, um, you know, I don't think he threw it on my behalf or even knew that that was coming along. But I kind of, whenever I see that date, I'm always kind of fixated on it, the 9th of September. It was cool to see. Now, you know, it was against the St. Louis Browns. It was during what we think of as wartime baseball, many of the vets weren't around so you know it may not have the same glamour and appeal as as what Paxton was able to do last night but hey it's a no-hitter and you know the rarity of that as an occurrence for anybody who goes to a ball game is something that uh, of course you stick around and want to watch it even though it's the other team that the, the guy is pitching for. You mentioned that wartime era with Fowler's no-hitter wasn't he straight out of the armed forces and back onto the mound pretty much? He he was. I believe he was with the Royal Highlanders, uh, one of those those groups. And uh, m- more extraordinary was the fact that uh, he was part of a two Canadian, uh, you know, starting lineup, starting pitching lineup for the the Athletics. Of course, in 1945, Phil Marshallden was his teammate on the Athletics, but Phil was just getting out of the uh, getting out of a prisoner of war camp where he'd been. Uh, the Germans had been holding him since his plane had been shot down, so he wasn't part of the team. Um, to the same extent as Fowler was at that moment. Well, that's an incredible story. Well, it was neat. Uh, you know, we, we talked earlier in the day, obviously, and I was telling you how my show was on during the no-hitter, so it was cool to give the updates and then and then see it happen and then start looking up Dick Fowler. You know, the guy, that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you because, I, you know what, I, I didn't know that. I felt like I should have known that. I didn't know about Fowler. I didn't know about the other Canadian right. no-hitter. Does this, yeah. for you as a historian, bring to mind other Canadian baseball accomplishments that maybe we... 
we should know about but don't get the spotlight they deserve. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a guy that I only discovered a couple of years ago um, through some research done by an American researcher on uh, Bob Addy. He was the uh, the first Canadian to play in what we call Major League Baseball. I live in a little town called Bowmanville, uh, just east of, uh, of, uh, of Toronto. And just up the road from us is a, an even smaller town, uh, Port Hope. And that's where Addy was from. He, uh, he played baseball. Uh, in Port Hope, uh, he played in uh, as far back we know as 1858. How's that? Um, was one of the uh, the first Canadian to play in the National Association, which was the predecessor of the National League in 1871, and then eventually did play in in the in the National League in 1876. And these are guys that we'd never heard of before until you know researchers were able to determine in fact that they were born in Canada, um, and and we can be glad for that research that we've been able to find that. Wow, that is amazing. So we're talking 1870s. This was gloves that barely covered your whole hand and infields that weren't entirely flat and all that all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Reed, it was even worse than that. They didn't even have gloves. They were they were effectively playing like cricketers, many cricketers do to this day, gloveless. They had to catch the ball. In fact, Addy, a fascinating guy, he was a catcher. The only protection he had was a little strip of leather that he that he actually had to clinch, uh, clinch between his teeth. Uh, and it didn't provide much protection, as one can imagine. And, and many games, foul balls would uh, concuss the poor guy behind the plate. Um, it was a rough and ready age that uh, I, I guess ball players can be very happy we've uh, long since left behind. Yeah, the equipment's a little, little more advanced now. Canadian baseball historian Bill Humber joining us on uh, Inside Sports tonight. I, I gotta ask you about that, Bill, because I, I'm sure there might be some uh, you know, young boys or girls listening to the show and thinking, wait a minute, this guy's job is a Canadian baseball historian, or is it? Is that something like, t- <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you at, le- you at least earn that title sure. when you come on a radio show. <laughs> well, it sounds too good to be true, and in fact, it is. But it, it, there's a half truth to it, and I'll tell you the I'll tell you the full truth. I'm actually uh, employed as a administrator at Seneca College in Toronto. Um, I'm in my 42nd year, which number 42. If anybody knows anything about baseball, they know that that's the only number retired in baseball because that was, of course, Jackie Robinson's number with the the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, but I work here on the uh, administrative and academic side in the environmental field. But I'm also a big baseball fan and about. About 40, well, over 40 years ago, I had an idea, and that was, uh, you know, the, the, the players go to Florida to get ready for the season. What do the fans do in the wintertime? And most of them just sit around and ruminate and, and wait for April to roll around. So I came up with the idea in the dark, you know, depths of winter of running a course called Baseball Spring Training for Fans. You know, get the fans in a classroom and let's talk baseball for six to eight Saturdays. And, you know, I thought it would be a one-hit wonder. It, it might happen one year. We just completed our 40th season, so um, we've been talking baseball for a long time, and and I've, in the process of of talking baseball, I've also been able to write a number of books and and talk uh, wisely, I hope, on Canadian baseball history, and uh, I often tell my American uh, uh, baseball research uh, crew that I hang out with, um, it's great being a Canadian baseball historian, because you guys, and I'm talking to the Americans, you never want to cross the 
border. You just you think baseball ended ends at the border, and 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 there the you know shall we find anything across the border? And my my favorite story, if I can just quickly share it, is the first ever international baseball game, i.e., a team from Canada and a team from the states. It was played in a little place called Clifton in 1860, and the Americans could never find it. They just looked on the map desperately trying to find it, and they finally thought it must be somewhere in Pennsylvania. Well, Clifton was, in fact, the name of Niagara Falls, Canada, until the 1880s, so the first ever international game was played in Canada, but they, my my American colleague friends, uh, simply couldn't cross the border to find it there, and that's the great thing about, you know, researching Canadian baseball history. You find a lot of firsts that happened here that Americans are, you know, have a hard time acknowledging, although they do, they do recognize that Jackie Robinson did get his start in Montreal with the with the Royals of that city back in 1946. So they're they're gracious enough to to recognize that it was Canada that gave uh, Robinson his first break. Absolutely, that's that's important to point out. Is is there as much information or as much history about baseball on the prairies as there would be in southern Ontario? I mean, obviously the population there and the proximity to a lot of the big league cities, especially when the majors started, like you said, back in the late 18th century. Where are we with our with our prairie baseball history? Is it quite as rich or quite as well chronicled as maybe someone like you would like? I, I would say so. I mean, uh, you know, for instance, in Saskatchewan, they've done a fabulous job of recognizing their baseball past. They have their own baseball hall of fame. I've been out many times to be a speaker at their their annual induction ceremonies. Um, they, you know, they recognize that the, the game out in the West uh, had a start, uh, in, at least in Saskatchewan, at, the, at, at one of their major forts in Battleford around 1879. In fact, the standard joke I have when I go is I'm desperately looking for a game that was played before 1879 just so I can kind of one-up their history but to date I haven't been able to find that but uh, for instance half the women that played in the All-American Girls Baseball League with the league that you know that but was uh, memorialized in the movie a league of their own um, they came from Western Canada uh, they came from prairie outposts um, many in many cases that was because the women who went west and married farmers were well educated they were teachers in many cases and they wanted their daughters as well as their sons to play baseball and as a result when that league came along during the Second World War um, one of the first places that recruiters went was to Western Canada and you know looking for people like Betty Carbeth who was from Edmonton and who played in that league in 1945 so you know we should give credit where credit is due. Bill, I got to throw you one more. You probably hate this question, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, <laughs> greatest Canadian baseball player of all time? Because I know, depending on someone's age, you might get different answers. I'm not quite old enough to remember Jenkins pitching. Uh, certainly, Larry Walker sure. was incredible. Do you uh, yeah. do you have a definitive answer to this one? Well, we can't ignore uh, Jenkins. Uh, I mean, for the obvious reason, he's in the in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. No other Canadian, with perhaps we could say the exception of another Canadian citizen, and that would be Pat Gillick, who took out you know Canadian citizenship, so he's a dual citizen. But in fairness, um, Fergie Jenkins grew up in Chatham, Ontario, was a really good hockey player, played up to junior B level, and of course had uh, so many stellar seasons with with uh, the. Chicago Cubs in particular, but with other teams as well. But if you looked across the board then at, at ball players, those who played in the field, uh, clearly Larry Walker, but but let's not forget Terry Poole. I mean, a, a tremendous 
you know, one of one of the greatest defensive outfielders of his age. Um, simply, you know, a dominant player uh, over many of those years. And uh, uh, Joey Votto today, I, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, uh, and I. You know, and I, and I, I'm tremendously honored going into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. But I also recognize there's a Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and that's the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And we know that uh, one day Joey Votto will not only be in the Canadian Hall of Fame, but he'll also be in that Hall of Fame in Cooperstown as well. Well, that, and that's pretty cool for you. Well, when, when's your induction into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame? And you, you, you must be pretty, because you know you never played a game, Bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. I, I, I did play one game for Eglinton Public School against Blythewood, I recall, in about 1959. And as I recall, we lost 13-1, to 1, but I did cross the plate with the only run. So it's not much to hang your hat on, but, you know, I, I've got to have some. And the other story I tell on that account is uh, I, around that same time, I was the lead character in a play. Uh, it was called Tom Tit Tot. I think it was a poor man's Rumpelstiltskin, and I played the lead character. And I think I believe it was in grade three at the time. And afterwards, my mom said to me, you know, uh, the, the other Billy in the play, she said to me, his uncle was there watching the game. And, and apparently he's a scout for the Cleveland Indians. So I've lived off that for a long time, telling people that as a kid, I was scouted by the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was wearing a black leotard at the time. So my, my future prospects were dim, I, I think you could say. So um, I, my claim to fame, I'm a builder and I'm a historian. But, uh, you know, I like to think that the three guys going in this air this year collectively we've thrown a perfect game i thank you pedro martinez uh we've played center field for the blue jays thank you very much lloyd mosby and we've written a bundle of books on baseball thank you very much to myself and so we'll take credit for all three of those bill we're gonna have to have you on the show again uh, great stuff uh, thanks for some perspective on uh, on where paxton's no hitter fits in in history really appreciate your time And go Jets. Let's hope uh, our surviving Canadian team has some fortune. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Kellen, we do not play this song enough coming back from break. Great riff. Perhaps the greatest guitar intro of all time. Mm, it's up there, though. Well, it's it's it'd be in my top five for sure. Now, again, I wasn't planning on talking about this, so I can't name the other four. <laughs> but that's a beauty. Can you play it again right now? Yeah, one sec. That's great. All right, so we had Bill Humber on the show, Canadian baseball historian. And we were talking, well, about Paxton's no-hitter last night, where that fits in, uh, Dick Fowler's no-hitter back in 1945. And we were talking about the greatest Canadian Major League ball player of all time. I put a poll on my Twitter account late this afternoon. Uh, Didn't get a ton of votes, got 120 votes. 53% Larry Walker, 33% Joey Votto, 12% Ferguson Jenkins, and 2% for other. You know, I, I think Fergie Jenkins is a little underrated in that poll. But I also realize a lot of people never saw Fergie Jenkins play. But he was an outstanding pitcher. The Blue Jays have now gone up 4-2 on the Mariners in the bottom of the eighth. They've been putting together a rally here. 
Celtics up 77-67 on the 76ers late in the third quarter. Boston up 3-1 in that series. Thanks to everybody who called and texted tonight. Really appreciate it. Kelly Rudy is going to be on the show tomorrow. We'll keep you updated on Game 7 between the Jets and the Predators on Friday. We bring you live hockey once again, Game 1 between the Lightning and the Capitals. Besides from Bill Humber, you heard from Dave Ellett and Brandon Davidson. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. And, of course, Kellen Kennedy is the studio producer. And coming up right away... WHL final game for Swift Current at Everett. The Broncos are up two games to one. My name is Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate that you tuned in tonight. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.